Hello, my name is Ray Montgomery. I'd like to welcome you to the Navigating Blinded podcast. And on today's show, I am joined by the president and CEO of Bosma, Mr. Jeffrey Mittman. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing well, Ray. Thank you very much. All right. And we also have the executive vice president, Mrs. Lisa Pace. How are you doing today, Lisa? I am doing fantastic, Ray. Pleasure to be with you. Okay. I wanted to bring you two on the podcast today just to really talk about a lot of social interaction that you have out within the community, because I know you two, as executive, you get to travel and to be in a lot of professional settings and just really did wanted to talk about your experiences while in some of these uh, professional settings. So I'm going to start with Jeff. As um, two executives that travel often uh, for personal and professional reasons, um, you guys find yourself in a lot of social interaction settings. So how do you navigate within social settings when you're out in the public, Jeff? Well, it uh, kind of depends on the setting and where I'm at. I'll tell you, if I'm going to a function, um, a lot of times it's probably a little bit easier because people probably know who I am or I'm there for a purpose. But uh, one thing I always tell everybody, if you're going to meet me somewhere, I'm going to go stand in the middle and you come find me. Uh, introduce yourself as you come up and I'll know who you are uh, at that point, because it can be a little uh, intimidating if you're in a, especially when I get into a crowd and I really can't tell who's there and uh, where people are or what's going on. It can be a little uh, stressful for a lot of people. So, you know, I always tell everybody when I'm out and about, just introduce yourself when you come up and we'll be good. I'll know exactly who you are and what we're supposed to be doing. So it's just the introduction, uh, the announcement, the verbal clue to who I'm speaking to or, or what we're doing. So I think that's the biggest piece. We don't like the games and like, you know, you know who this is. So you'd rather recommend them come up and introduce themselves to you? Yeah, yeah. And I don't play guessing games. So just uh, just introduce yourself and uh, let me know. It's, it's perfectly fine. I won't take offense to it. It's, uh, it's the best way, the most efficient way for you to communicate with me if I'm not well aware of who you are, if we're not close, somebody who I'm close to or somebody I know very well, I'll know. Yeah. But uh, if, if we don't interact much or if you're just meeting for the first time, just just introduce yourself. It's, yeah. it's perfectly fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Lisa, how do you navigate within um, certain settings? I'm a little bit more of an introvert than Jeff is. So I may not stand in the middle of the room, but you might find me along a wall. <laughs> But I uh, use the same strategy uh, that Jeff mentioned. It's really helpful when people introduce themselves to you. It does get a little bit awkward when somebody comes up and they give you a big hug. They're excited to see you. Um, you receive the hug and then they walk away and you don't know who you hugged. Uh, and, and the same for a handshake. So it's always really, really helpful if people, when they come up to you, do go ahead. And, and even if they're pretty familiar with you, just go ahead and, and let, let you know their name. Um, it's also very helpful. I always try to get uh, my hand out first in a social setting to do a handshake or, a, or an elbow bump. But when I'm not able to do that, it's always really helpful when somebody just says to me, hey, I have my hand out, and then I know that I can go and receive that handshake. But yes, introductions are always really helpful, and they help eliminate some awkwardness. Um, so are there certain phrases that um, certain sighted people should not say to people who are blind or visually impaired? 
somebody who's visually impaired or uh, sighted, I would say no. I mean, you speak to them just like you do everybody else. Blindness is characteristic. So, uh, you know, so I, I assume some people are probably afraid to say, uh, you know, wor use words like see or look or something, but it's part of the, the normal everyday conversation. So no, I don't take offense to any of that. I wouldn't worry about that. I think that probably causes more issues when people worry about things like that. True, true, true. But are there certain phrases like, okay, look over there or... No, no. I think, I think, I, I personally, I believe you should speak to me like you do everybody else. I'm not going to take offense. I may say, hey, I can't, I can't see that over there. Tell me, describe it to me. But I'm not going to take offense to it. It's not, it's not something yeah. that, uh, that I want people worried about because what I want you to do is feel comfortable. I don't want you worrying about your words. I don't want you worrying about saying the wrong thing. I want you to engage. Any like tips or um, tips that you could provide to someone who never act interacted with someone with vision loss? As Jeff said, we would certainly never want somebody to feel uncomfortable, right? Um, in a social setting, everybody wants to just fit in and and uh, it would not be different, I don't believe, for somebody who's blind. I do believe, however, that if there is something visual to see and somebody wants to describe that to you, I think that's certainly always helpful. Um, I can certainly also verbalize to somebody, hey, um, you told me to look over here. What are you looking at? What what do you see? And so the onus isn't always on the person that you're interacting with. Um, certainly, I have a voice and I can ask to um, have a description of what you're seeing. Always appreciate it when I'm at a restaurant, somebody offers to, to read the menu to me. And of course, they should never take any offense if it happens to just be a menu that I can go ahead and read myself because I do have some limited vision. So it's really about just open lines of communication, everybody feeling really comfortable. And it's also about me advocating for what I need from somebody else as well. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on that, Lisa, advocating for yourself. So how important is it for a person who is blind to actually let their voice be heard when they're out you know, in certain settings, you know, you don't want people just to grab you or to manhandle you at times. So how do you go about advocating for yourself uh, as a person who was blind or visually impaired? Well, I think it's exactly what Lisa just said. Um, I think we bear the responsibility to let it be known what we need, right? And politely and professionally. So to, to Lisa's point about somebody saying, hey, look over there and then you should verbalize, Hey, I, you know, I can't see that. What, what exactly is it? And then over time people catch on, right. They'll, they'll understand and, and they'll get better at it. But uh, it's uh it's a matter of just like anybody else. Uh, if you need something, you should be able to speak up and you should be able to advocate and you should be able to do it professionally and politely. And, and I think it's okay. And, and, and when you do that, it eases the discomfort that a lot of people have that they're going to say something wrong. So it's, it's on you uh, as an individual uh, and people will learn as it goes along, you know, but I think it's, I think it's uh, incumbent upon us to be able to verbalize that and speak for ourselves. And I, uh, you know, um, in, in that verbalization piece, certainly I have had um, very 
early in my blindness, very well-intentioned people want to grab and, and drag me <laughs> yeah. across the street. And, and I did need to find my voice and say, hey, I really appreciate your help. It's safer for me if I cross the street independently. Now, that said, there are times when I'm entering a room and I may be with a colleague or even there's somebody there who asks if they can help me. And I may say, would you offer your arm and act as my sighted guide and help me get to the table? Or could you tell me where the restroom is? Would you mind being my sighted guide? So it's again, it's really about verbalizing what you need. And certainly there's no expectation that anybody has to help me, but I've never been in a situation where someone has said no. So does that come with time learning to advocate for yourself? Because I know, you know, just when you knew the blind is you don't really feel that you have a voice at that time. So does that come with just really time and just really knowing, you know, knowing the law and knowing what, what you expect from people, I would say. I would suggest to you that Jeff and I don't have trouble finding our voice and expressing what we need. But but, but certainly that didn't happen overnight. I was not born blind. I began to experience vision loss in my early 20s. And so certainly it's been over a period of time that I felt more comfortable to express what I need um, in situations. But I will say that from the time I was a child, and it certainly isn't unique to just me being blind, my parents always taught me that you teach people how to treat you. And I think this is just an evolution of, of what you want people, children to do is to learn to speak up and have people treat them in an appropriate way. So how does attitudes um, hinder the progress for people who are blind or visually impaired? Well, I think other people's attitudes, there's a lot of misperceptions about the abilities of people who are blind or visually impaired. So the more I'm out in public, the more Lisa's is out in public, the more all of us are out in public, and the, the better we are interacting with society, the more we're able to overcome those misperceptions. So I gave you an example. I was giving a speech in Pennsylvania one time, and, and at the end of the talk, I don't know, I had five, 600 people in the room, and I had a woman ask me, you know, how I got to Pennsylvania. And I think her point was, because I was blind, how was I able to travel? And, you know, I told her, I said, I took an airplane here and I went to a place called an airport where planes land. And then I got in a car, or I got into an Uber and I took it here. Yeah. It was just amazing to her that somebody could do that. And it's technology is the great equalizer. So I had the technology to do that. I can hail a car now to my exact location. Right. So I think it's uh, I think the more I'm out, the more I'm able to talk to people, the more people see me perform in public. And uh, we're all really uh advocates for the larger community when we're out doing that and being able to explain to people that yeah you know i have uh, i have this vision loss and that's about the extent of it now you know you find ways to to deal with that and it's usually you know through technology and practice and doing it over and over sometimes but but there's really nothing you can't do once you set your mind to it so overcoming those misperceptions and that's really that really has a big effect on employment with people who are blind or visually impaired and i think a lot of organizations are afraid to engage uh candidates for jobs who are blind or visually impaired because they have they don't know a how to communicate with them and b their capabilities so they just avoid it altogether so i think the more we're out the more we're able to engage the public the more we're out front 
at organizations, different places in society. I think the more we can overcome those misperceptions. Ray, there's a study that says that people fear going blind more than they do receiving an HIV AIDS diagnosis, losing a limb or even getting cancer. So I think that that speaks to the pervasive fear of losing your vision. And I think every day as Jeff and I are, as he said, out and about, it kind of proves to people that certainly being blind is is better than death, than a death sentence or losing a limb. So, and as long as there's that overwhelming fear and people aren't exposed to people who are blind, it's always going to be really difficult to get the public to engage us in employment. Um, And so certainly I think we've expressed throughout the podcast today that we want you to engage us in every level of society. Yeah, I think the lady in Philadelphia was really saying that how she didn't know how she would do it. And I think we get that a lot. Uh, People don't understand how they would navigate the world or how they would be able to travel. So are, are there any social anxiety. I know when I first time I flew, you know, my anxiety was very high. So how do you navigate these um, airports and how do you get around the airports when you were traveling independently for people who may not be aware? Well, I think, uh, you know, each each airport has uh, an organization for, you know, disability assistance. So when you check in, you say, hey, I need assistance to the uh, the airport or I'm sorry, to the gate or to baggage or whether I'm arriving or, or leaving. And I think when those individuals come up to assist you, I think you just tell them exactly what you need. I, I tell them all the time. I said, listen, you just stand to my right. I'll fall right behind you and we'll be good to go. And once I lay that down and I get it out there and I tell them what I need, I really don't have any trouble. Uh, now I have probably an issue with patients waiting for them to arrive. But other than that, it, it works out really well. It's the same with uh, Ubers or, or whatever. You know, when I arrive at a location, I may have to ask the driver, hey, where's the front door at, you know, or, or something. And, and you know, <clears throat> people want to help. Most people are good people. So if you just express what assistance you need or what assistance you don't need, people are happy to, to assist. So it goes back to finding your own voice and advocating for what you need. But in the, uh, it can be, I think, overwhelming sometimes in the airport because there's so much going on around you. And my limited vision sometimes doesn't allow me to take all of that in efficiently. So it, it can be, but the more you do it, the more more you adjust to it, and the better you get at it as an individual, I think the easier it is. So, Ray, early on in my career at Bosma, I went on my first trip uh, with a colleague to Washington, D.C. to do some advocacy work. At the end of the week, we were invited to a congressional reception, and my colleague, who was also blind, um, and I made this pact at the beginning of of the reception that we were going to work the room. So we were going to get out of our shells, and we were going to introduce ourselves to people, and and we were going to really make the most of networking. And so we did it. Um, Sometimes we introduced ourselves to people a couple of times um, because certainly in that setting, um, it's difficult (laughs) to know who you met with and who you haven't. But at the sort of towards the end of the reception, there was past hors d'oeuvres. So, you know, very swanky. And uh, 
We stopped and I grabbed a piece of broccoli off the waiter's tray and my colleague elbowed me and said, hey, you just ate off that man's plate. So (laughs) instead of actually having a waiter serve me a vegetable tray, I was eating off a gentleman's plate who had just sadly stopped. Now, what that told me was he was very, very good natured about it and uh, asked me if I wanted another piece. I explained to him that uh, that was the reason that my husband probably wasn't taking me to cocktail parties anymore. But what that whole situation said to me is that you're going to have awkward situations. You're going to have awkward situations sometimes socially if you can see. But at the end of the day, that whole occurrence didn't kill me. And so it really, it gave me some uh, perspective about that I just needed to be brave. I also needed to work to be more outgoing and that I needed to forgive myself when I did something awkward. And all of those things really, I think, helped me to where I am today, where I am able to go out. And I know that You know, even if the worst thing you could imagine happened at a reception, you eat off of someone else's plate, it didn't kill me. No, no. You just learned from that experience. So, yeah, you learn how to work the room and uh, navigate and introduce yourself. So that was all a lot of great things that came upon that that reception right there. So so how I know I just want to go back just a little bit. So what do you tell someone that's overly helpful? How do you how do you explain to someone that you may not need this much help. So how do you explain to them that you're you're okay when you're traveling or when you're out and about? Well, I think you just simply explain it politely. Um, I, you know, I've, I've had uh, in similar situation. Lisa said, I remember being in San Antonio one time and a woman come up and grab my arm. She goes, don't worry, I'll get you across the street. And I just told her, I said, uh, it's a man, I appreciate the help, but you know, <clears throat> I'm going to be able to, I'll be able to make it on my own. And, and she was okay with that, you know, but it was just, just expressing that you don't have to accept uh, help if you don't need it you just politely decline it and explain that you're okay it's uh i think it's like anything else uh, like any other situation sided or blind you just uh you just got to have the voice to to actually explain that you know one of the one of the things you were asking about uh you know i think probably strangers or people who don't know you well one of the things i have to remind and i have to speak up sometimes is with people who know me very well even my family members you know, they see me go to work, they see me travel, they see me get out and go around. And then when we go into a restaurant, sometimes uh, uh, my family members and my friends will walk in the door in a completely dark restaurant where I'm almost completely blind because of the lighting. And they'll just take off and I have to say, hey, 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 because <laughs> they're so used to seeing me adapt and, and overcome to environments I know. Right. But if I'm learning a new environment, I do need a little assistance. But it's the same thing with whether people know you or not. It's just being able to speak up and and say, hey, hey, let, let me grab your elbow here real quick till we get to the table and give me a little while to learn the room and I'll be fine. But it's it's the same thing with family members and friends as it is with strangers is being able to speak up and say, hey, I need some assistance here. or No, I don't. So and that's a good point, Jeff, right there. Sometimes they forget that you can not see because you're doing things so well in your right. everyday lives that sometimes they may just do things around the house and they forget, oh, I forget that you couldn't see. I just left the cabinet open. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And I've got the scars to prove it. Right. <laughs> Don't we all? So, and, and you get that, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot that you can't see. <laughs> right. <laughs> it just happened yesterday. <laughs> so that's that's great. That's great. So uh, so what, what do you like to do for leisure, Jeff, when you're not out traveling, when you're not 
you know, advocating and running this great organization here at Basel. What do you like to do for leisure? Uh, well, I'm a big reader. Uh, I love history. I love biographies. So I do a lot of reading. Uh, I have a big interest in finance and investing. So I do a lot of reading on that. Uh, my wife says it's all stereo instructions to her and boring, but uh, I enjoy it. Uh, I do my best work about four o'clock in the morning. It's where I do most of my reading and, and, and things like that. Cause it's quiet. My favorite time of day is 4 a.m. Um, so I'm either up reading, working, or I'm working out. So it's, uh, those are really about the three things I do. I, I travel so much. A lot of times when I'm not working, I don't want to travel. Uh, but uh, I try to exercise my brain as much as I do my body. Lisa, how about you? Fun, get us out of here today. What do you like to do for leisure? Sure. Like Jeff said, uh, I spend a fair amount of time working um, for leisure. And you know, when you love your job, it doesn't much seem like work. So exactly right. uh, I, I really enjoy that. And, and I keep very similar hours to Jeff's. Those sort of early morning hours are some of my most productive, but my husband and I have a boat. And so we really like to boat in the summer. I also like to maintain my landscaping at my house. So I do all of that on my own. Uh, there's a lot of feeling for weeds, uh, <laughs> but I do very much enjoy that. And I have a new granddaughter, so I spend as much time with her as I can. Well, I want to thank both of you for taking time out of your busy schedules to come in and talk about just social interaction and how people should interact with people who are blind or visually impaired. And if you want to learn more about just interacting with people who are blind, about blindness in general, please visit us on the web at www.bosma.org. Make sure you're following us on all social media platforms and definitely make sure that you're subscribed to the Navigating Blindness podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud. And I'll talk to you guys next week. It was an absolute pleasure, Ray. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ray.